This treason of Arnold is an event that occasions me equal regret and mortification. But traitors are the growth of every country and in a revolution of the present nature. It is more to be wondered at that the catalogue is so small than that there have been found a few. The words of General George Washington. And this is The Guardians of the Republic. Hello, I'm Patrick Murray from the Monmouth University Poll, and my co-host is Ian Kahn from the TV series Turn, Washington Spies. On this episode of the podcast, we look at new polling on the deep divide in our country and the challenges facing the republic. This week, we look at a question about the health of that republic in the post-election phase, and then we'll wrap with our hot take section, including where Democratic candidates for president now seem to be landing and our guardian of the week. Please make sure to subscribe and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app. Patrick, we've been away for quite a few weeks. This was sort of something that we told people was going to happen. I was so slammed with a conference for the organization that I work with, the New Deal, um, and you were equally slammed. So it was one of those situations where we got to Friday. It was like, we just can't do it. I just don't have the bandwidth. And that's the the pleasure, I would say, of doing the show this time, where it's sort of like, look, guys, we love you. We miss you. I'm sure you were hoping and waiting for the next episode. We will always come back, but in this time, it's it's less of a every week thing, unfortunately. Yep. Yes, um, I think so too. Um, and uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of work on, you know, where we stood with the polls, um, trying to understand that, and and really coming more and more to the idea that it's less about the polls being broken than public opinion being broken, and that has a lot to do with where we stand with the republic right now. Right. So let's start right there with usually we start with polling, but this week we're going to talk about the Republic and Trump has continued to claim fraud. We're not going to make the whole show about this um, because there's more to talk about that's that's more hopeful. But this is certainly a situation. Where do you see things right now, Patrick? Yeah, I mean, what is there over 40 cases that have been tossed out over 50? Yeah. Um, uh, but there's one more where the state of Texas is suing Pennsylvania as well as Georgia, Arizona and Michigan. To basically overturn the uh, overturn the election in those four states, basically saying Texas is saying we don't like the way those states ran their elections, um, and therefore the Supreme Court should have original jurisdiction take care of this and overturn those four, uh, and and thus it would overturn the the election as a whole and in terms Greg of the electoral Abbott. college. The Greg Abbott, who is the governor of Texas, who is currently under investigation from uh, the FBI, uh, is the one who's leading this charge. It is. Shocking, and it is why I reused, I believe I used that quote at some point, probably during the impeachment period, but it's the first time it feels like there are treasonous members of our country that are, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. Yeah, you have, so you have Texas, you have the 17 states, then you have all these amicus filings, Um, other than the states, you have 106 members of Congress, Republican members of Congress who has signed on to this. Uh, I mean, this is just, we're talking about sedition here. I mean, the, the, the reason why I kind of laughed when, at, at the quote at the beginning was, you know, Washington was saying it, and when talking about Benedict Arnold is that what's really more amazing is that, you know, we've had so few cases of treason. Well, now we have with. plenty. Now, now we, have we, have, we have more than we had during the revolution is, is basically yes. much more. Um, and this is, you know, 
I don't know whether I mentioned the last time we were we were together, but you know my my spirit animal, as it were, my my revolutionary hero is John Adams, and mm-hmm. uh, for so many reasons, um, and I identify with him, you know. But one of the things that he gets um, dinged for as probably the biggest mistake or or error or whatever that he made were, was signing on to the Alien and Sedition Acts. And a little quick little history lesson for you: Please. Uh, that uh, in uh, why in Washington's administration, uh, the first president, one of the things that he wanted to do was forge better relationships with Britain. Now that you know we broke away with him and wanted to stabilize, his Secretary of State Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson. was not not happy with that uh, because he really wanted to forge closer relations with France. So what Washington did was actually send over the uh, I think. This John Jay, who stepped down from the Supreme Court in order to do this, secretly went to Britain to negotiate uh, uh, a, an agreement with them, a non, you know, non-aggression agreement. And uh, Jefferson and his group were livid that this happened behind their backs, um, and it raised all sorts of uh, problems. In fact, it was the one big administrative scandal of Washington's uh, term mm-hmm. as president. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. when. When Adams beats Jefferson in that acrimonious uh, 1796 election, comes into office, and there's a real concern that there is these French agents who are working to undermine uh, government. You know, they're they're left over from those the folks who were on the losing side, and so he signed on to the Alien and Sedition Acts, which basically said, you know, these foreign folks can be arrested for if if they speak out in ways that suggest that they could undermine uh, the republic. And, you know, th- that was kind of overstepping his bounds and, you know, they had to withdraw those and, and, and renege, you know, Congress passed them and, and Adams signed on to them. But, uh, you know, I can understand what Adams was, was thinking at that time. You know, if I were coming into office right now, that you, you have people who basically have signed a paper that is seditious when they signed onto this particular piece of legislation, uh, P, uh, excuse me, court case, um, is these, these 106 members of Congress and, and other officials are seditious. And in fact, if you read the briefings that they, they've signed onto, a lot of them were the, the say that the states, uh, the four states that are being sued here uh, did not follow their own laws. And then they don't actually cite any, any specific laws or pieces of evidence that they actually didn't follow because they're only in fact, doing in fact, this there's some cases where they, they just simply put citation to follow. That was an actual Supreme court submission was citation to follow. So they, they know they don't even have a, a leg to stand on nope. yet. They're willing to do this. And it's odd in a way because, uh, and Dan Crenshaw was the one person that when I went through the list of 106, I mean, the, you have the Louis Gomez, you have the Matt Gates's of the world, the Steve Jim King. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you got those guys and yeah, fine. But when Dan Crenshaw steps up and signs that piece of paper, here's a man who made his name in service and in sacrifice for our country to protect the constitution and now signs a letter calling for the Constitution to, you know, to to know he's not protecting the Constitution. Let's put it that way. I mean, he's he's actively trying to hurt the country for the sake of Donald Trump. Now, what's interesting is to me is what is the upside of this? Because I feel like there is a small upside, which is that it's it's keeping people at bay 
the stand back and stand by people. I saw an interview this week, not with a proud boy, but with someone who was a firm Trump supporter. And basically, you know, we were talking about the Band-Aid and how the Band-Aid, you know, rip the Band-Aid off for the Republic and like what needs to happen. What these people are feeling, they think that that Trump is going to end up winning a second term. It seems that people really believe who are supporters of Trump that this will work. So it's going to take us all the way to January 5th, which will also be the Georgia Senate runoff, but also the day where I believe the Electoral College makes the their sixth, votes. The day after will be the, the count. Oh, the day the, the day after will be the, the, the Electoral College? Yep. Okay. The, the Electoral College counting. So for, for those of you following at home, so on Monday, the Electoral College members will meet in their respective state capitals, cast their votes. So we'll know what their votes are okay. at that point. Then they, then they all get sent down to Congress, and then Congress opens the box of, of, of ballots uh, on January 6th and votes to accept each state's uh, electors. And is that in the House and the Senate or just the House? Both. Both. Okay. So, you know, th- you say the box, <laughs> they open the box. Yeah, there, there is. There used to be this, like, I don't know whether they're going to do it this year, but there's this ceremony, there's this big leather box or something, and all the all these oh, certifications the from, the, from the states go into the box. Yeah. I think those two weeks between when that box is open, that's when Pandora's box is going to open. And we're going to see if there is going to be. And and here's the part that I'm grateful for, okay, in the midst of this insanity that's going on, treasonous behavior for the sake of, uh, uh, I'm not going to speak that uh, truthfully yet of how I feel about the president. Um, it's, it's keeping the box closed for a little bit longer because at least there's hope for them. They feel that mm-hmm. there is hope. And I think that then those two weeks will be dangerous, but it's a shorter amount of time than the box opening, let's say, in the middle of November. Because I think both of us were fearful. I know I was very fearful of actual violence in the streets from Trump supporters who feel that the the election was stolen from them. So let's say that does happen. And we have, the, we have people who are doing that. At least it's a shorter period of time. I mean, I'm really running so for you- the silver lining. Yeah, so your feeling is the the electors. So this this whole Supreme Court case is tried to stop the electors in those four states from from meeting. Although I guess they could continue the, the lawsuit. But anyway, we'll know on on Monday what the exact electoral college count was, and it'll be interesting to see because Joe Biden has earned three hundred and six electoral votes. But there's there could always be faith faithless electors, as they were, people who vote for somebody who they're not supposed to vote for. And that's why Donald Trump actually did not get 306 electoral votes four years ago. He got 304 um, because there were a number of electors who decided just to vote for somebody else and not the but person that's the, that they were sent to do. Race, but see, the race wasn't close enough for this to really be problematic. Right, right. If, so if it, wasn't, it was 272 right. to 268, right. uh, or I'm sorry, 272 to 267. Um and you then we would spend the whole time just like, oh, my God, there's yeah. three. I just did David from from Schitt's Creek. It's too much. Schitt's <laughs> Creek, man. Um, but no, it's not too much. Never too much. It's like it's the Seinfeld of the present day. Um, but then we would be worried about these faithless electors. And that's right. You know, I think that that was Trump's game plan from the beginning was get it close enough to throw it to the Supreme Court. Right. The Supreme Court cannot overturn five states, which is what they would need to do four or five states to, to make this viable. Right. It ain't going to happen. Right. So, uh, well, if they overturn the four states, if I now my math is is gone, but I think it's two that that would put the electoral college vote at two sixty nine to two sixty nine, if everybody voted for who they were supposed to, and that means 
That goes to the House. And it then goes Trump to the House, and then each of the states gets in the House gets one vote. And, of course, there are more states controlled by Republicans than Democrats. Right. So anyway, but the point that you I think you were making is that, OK, even if we get we will know the actual Electoral College vote on Monday, there is still the opportunity for these um, fraud claimants, um, this these seditious fraud claimants, to try to work on the members of Congress and the Senate to toss out the state's electors. Well, I mean, if you con- look at Congress John- can still vote to do that. Congress yeah, but that's not that's not going to happen. I don't no, not yeah, think- no, I don't I don't agree. Yeah, I agree. It's not going With to the happen. House being in Democratic hands and the Senate being as close as it is and the Murkowski's and the Collinses and the, th- you know, a couple of the guys that I've been talking about for a couple of years now. I don't know that long, but John Thune and John Cornyn. Remember, I had that moment where I was like, John Thune is always standing behind Mitch McConnell looking really sad all the time. You know, that tall Superman looking man. Well, he came out and spoke against this lawsuit this week. John Cornyn from his very state came out and spoke against this lawsuit. So he doesn't understand. And, and you know, we're talking about 17 states, 17 attorneys general. These, right. these people know better. Right. Ted Cruz knows better. I mean, By the way, we, we should point out that there there are folks, Ted Cruz, oh, what a punk. What a punk. What a punk. It's like he had his one moment at the convention in 2016 where he stood up and then decided, all right, well, that didn't go well. <laughs> and then he had to crawl back to Trump and sort of make friends. And the, the idea that he was going to go and, and, and the, the, the press secretary, the name is escaping me. She went to Harvard Law. Mm-hmm. She was Larry Tribe's student. She's out here saying that this makes any kind of sense. Come on. And William Barr, the, the, when I think of William Barr, who is not helping Trump and is looks like is going to get fired. When I think of William Barr, the, the, the biggest thing was the interview he did where he said history is written by the winners. Remember, we talked about that. And the, I believe we talked about that. The outrage of that. It's like, well, you know, you could say what you want, but history is written by the winners. History is going to be written by the winners, and he is going to go down as the worst attorney general in the history of our country. His name is Mud, mm-hmm. Mud. But uh, so what? What I was saying in in this process was your original idea, which was the longer the longer these Trump fraudsters have some sort of hope, even if the hope isn't realistic at all the more likely you are to postpone or, or put off violence. Yes. So that's what I'm saying. That's what I think is even after the, after the electoral college meets on Monday, that, um, they, you know, there's still the next three weeks, four weeks, whatever it is, uh, three weeks, I guess that they can still hold out hope that Congress will kick out these, uh, uh, particular States electors, right. even though they right. won't, I mean, we know they won't, but that might keep them on the simmer rather than boiling mm-hmm. over. Right, exactly, on yeah. the simmer. That's exactly that's exactly the thought. And then over the course of two months, what's pos- again, what's positive about this is that over the course of the two months, it sort of sets in lightly, basically saying, look, this is where, you know, oh God, I guess, I guess he's not going to win. I mean, that's the hope I think that I have, that then those two weeks between January 6th and January 20th can be peaceful. And then once Biden is in actual office and in control of the military and all the things that sort of need to be taken care of, um, that there will be uh, that there will be safety for all. Yeah, then this can be. This is a question, you know, I have myself, I have for you. I want to get your thoughts on this. This It's just the the signals that we've been getting from Biden about what he's going to do 
or, or and how much he recognizes this rift that we have. I mean, look, I mean, we have this. This is now just not political, and it hasn't been just you know pure politics for a while. That we're looking at folks who have signed on to sedition, and he's got to deal with those people in Congress. Um, and my concern is that he doesn't recognize it. Uh, oh, I know. He, uh, I think he recognizes it. There was a something happened this week where he met with uh, African American leaders because there's a lot of talk about the cabinet and are there enough uh, people of color on the cabinet? Is there enough diversity? And he was asked about his use of executive orders, whether he would use executive orders to help put things back into place or to put forward legislation. Well, here's where Biden being in the Senate for for 47 years or so, or being in the game for so long, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I will use executive orders to turn back things that the president did, but that's not the way things are supposed to go. And that's not the way things are going to run in my administration. I think that that is a tip of the cap to bipartisanship and patriotism. Right, because he's not. But but in my view, that's also an indication that you don't understand how things have changed. Well, perhaps you may be right, but I. But do you think he'd be better suited to to go with executive orders? No, I mean, I I I agree with him under. I agree with the underlying premise because the more you do executive orders, the more and the more you feel forced into doing executive orders, which was what Obama did. Right. The more you you inadvertently contribute to undermining the republic yes exactly that's i mean i think that's the the essential issue that biden was speaking to he said look i can do all these executive orders but then what stops the next person from coming in and doing it right so and, what's and undoing everything that i've done right so what's the the answer though that he says i'm not going to do executive orders because i'm not going to go down that path because that's not good but at the same time the normal path which is working with a congress that wants to work with you and and compromise um, and we don't know what's going to happen in the Georgia runoffs, but if my gut tells me that Mitch McConnell will still be yeah, the majority leader, um, and Nancy Pelosi has a razor thin margin and she's actually down a couple of votes uh, or will be because of uh, an appointment here or there that uh, Biden is making from the house to his cabinet cabinet. So that's going to, she has a razor thin margin there, which means it's going to be very tough for him to get anything done. In, in Congress, I, I think he just overestimates his ability to work with Mitch McConnell. This is not the Mitch McConnell of, you know, 1986. 19, yeah, exactly. Or, or even, even 2000 for that but, matter. But Patrick, what's the alternative? I mean, what, what, uh, uh, to me, there's a piece of me that will be okay. I, look, I want the Democrats to win both races in Georgia. I think that the, the what's happening with the 106 and, and what's happening in the Republican Party should keep them out of power f for a significant period of time until they cleanse themselves of their treason and sedition, which is speaking just directly to these uh, lawsuits, not to the party as a whole. But there's a piece of me that thinks that the only way to really get the country back on track is to kind of break through and who better to do that than Joe Biden? Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's something about finding a way forward with McConnell. Now, you may be dead on right, but let's say the Democrats win. Nothing, nothing powerful stays without problems if it doesn't have some level of bipartisanship to it. The Obama Obamacare was a fully Democratic um, bill. 
right? There was no Republicans right. who would come aboard. And and what we found over time is that it's the bipartisanship that builds building blocks for the republic. So it seems to me that what we would want is to find a way towards a sense of normalcy again. And the only way to do that is not to make these executive orders. And I think you agree with me that the that there's wisdom in that. But how else can how else can the country move forward if they don't find that way forward? If they don't have that level of optimism? I will agree with you on this. If if there is any chance that we can start working our way back to that kind of normal those norms of behavior between the between and among the branches and an acceptance that you don't have to win all the time, uh, that you can accept short-term losses uh, for the public good, that if there is a path back to that, that Joe Biden is our last best hope to achieve that. Right. So I'm still not positive. I'm still not I'm far from optimistic positive. about work. it. You know, it's, but it's but like, I, I will agree with you on the sense that that nobody but Joe Biden in this situation at this time could we even sit here and discuss that as a possible road right. to go down. I mean, Kamala Harris, if she were the president, going in and sitting with Mitch McConnell, you know, said if, if I ever ran for office, then let's say I, we're going to talk about the mayor's race in New York later. But if I ever ran for mayor, first thing I would do is sit down with the. Uh, president of the city council on the, or, or the head of the city council on the Republican side. That's the first thing I would do and say, what can we do together first so that we can find a way to work together? What's important to you? Because I think that that's how Washington would handle it. And general George, president George Washington, I think that's how he would, he would want to go about his business. And I just feel like Biden, if anyone, like you said, there's no one else other than Biden who could sit down with Mitch McConnell and give power to McConnell in the process, right? And not feel the ego pull of, you know, I'm the president now. Because I, I still look back to that moment with Obama where he says to John McCain in that moment, you know, elections have consequences. And I won the election. And McCain says, yes, I think about that every single day. He said, well, because I won the election, I'm sitting here and you're sitting there. So know, basically know your place. Biden's not going to do that, I don't think. Um, and if he does, we're sunk. I mean, the, the, we we don't we have no way back. So it's why I do love Joe Biden, and I'm hopeful, so hopeful um, for for the republic. Any last thoughts on this before we move on to polling? No, let's go on to go on to polling because I, I have a couple of things about you know you're not the only one who's hopeful. Um, so um, um, a national Marist uh, poll with uh, NPR came out uh, in the last week, and they found that 59 uh, percent of Americans feel that Joe Biden will do more to unite the country versus 35 percent who said he'll do more to divide the country. That's and, a good number. And a great four, number. this time four years ago when Trump was the president elect, it was it was basically the opposite. Only 43 percent thought that he would unite the country versus 53 percent who said he would divide it. The majority said that Trump would divide it. And we have a solid majority who said they believe that Trump will unite it. Um, so, you know, uh, but there's still partisan differences within this, you know, Democrats Democrats are 91% said that they're sure that he'll do this, but Republicans, 77% think that Biden will divide. So we'll see. Yeah. But 20% of Republicans believe that he will bring the country together. I mean, that's a good number. If you think, I mean, it's not a great number for sure, but considering the circumstances and if you're the, if you're part of that 20% and you're in Georgia, does that inspire you to want to vote 
perhaps for the Democratic side of the ticket? Because so. no, you don't think so. You no. think that they're going to want to find that balance where the yeah. Republicans have the the ability to keep the Democrats in check. Right. So because th- this is this is the point that I've been making. So for the past 25 years, you've gotten this message. And this is this is in some ways uniquely American uh, among Western democracies that government inherently is bad. And you go back, you know, go back. Remember to uh, Ronald Reagan quote, um, the the most scary words in the in, in the English language are I'm from the government. I'm here to help um, is that we have the, the, that over the past 25 years, this has gotten worse because not only do we have a natural distrust of government in the United States, but it's been built up to, to all these incidents you can point to where government has been dysfunctional. And that's why I think what's interesting about this is that Republicans say, okay, since government is dysfunctional and we can't trust the people in government, then we need to create these, these partisan checks, this split power there, which of course makes, in the end, makes government more dysfunctional, but you know, so it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I think that's where we are right now. So, and mm-hmm. I think that was part of what we saw in the fact that Democrats did so poorly down ballot in November. Right, is that you know, okay, we know that we're kicking out Donald Trump, but so therefore we're going to hold on to these Republicans in Congress. Okay, but you know, there's a piece of me. I had a moment this week where I was thinking about you know, typically in the second year, midterm elections of the first term of a president, the president loses a traumatic, a dramatic amount of seats. Um, we saw it in Trump. We saw it with Obama. We saw it with Clinton. We we've seen it, uh, Bush. We saw it later, actually. Mm-hmm. But there's a piece of me that thinks that Biden might actually change that. There might be a change there. And I think it has to do not with so much has to do with reputation and has to do with like, well, how are things going to go? And, oh, did he give a good speech? Now we're going to see actual, hopefully, diligence and consistency and, you know, ability to handle the problems that are at hand. And I think that that Biden might be a very, very popular president. It's possible. uh, Overall, there's disaster, but he might be incredibly popular for the normalcy that he's going to bring to the office. Overall, there's more. Um, confidence in Biden today than there was in Trump four years ago coming into office on a number of different issues, such as would he represent all Americans? 56% say Biden will, 42% said Trump will, would four years ago. Will he provide good leadership? 58% for Biden now, 49% for Trump then. Um, how will he do in foreign policy? 53% have, co- have confidence in Biden now versus just 42% for Trump. Um, now this was interesting. Uh, yeah, we'll point the best. We'll point the best uh, best people. It's actually fifty three percent for Biden, forty seven percent for Trump. Oh, okay. It's, it's fairly even. Yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah. I had written down something wrong. I know you're looking at that's yeah, the, the real like, numbers are really? Biden slightly ahead of Trump, but but just slightly. Mm-hmm. And this is will we keep America safe? It's just it's a tie. It's fifty five percent for Biden now, fifty four percent for Trump. So you know, appointing the this is this is what's interesting. Um, there's one more thing that I want to mention, but appointing the best people, I just want to hit on that for a second. You got to remember, there, there were still a lot of people when Trump came into office, and you see these people still writing their op-eds today, who thought that the office would change him, that he'd get more gravitas once he realized what the job was all about. I was not one of those people because I understood human psychology. Um, so I, I think that's why, you know, 
Trump's numbers on appoint the best people were close to 50 percent. Sure. Um, because, you know, people thought that that the, that the system itself would work and it hasn't. And the problem is he hasn't had to pay a price for it four years later. He oh no, who Donald Trump? Yeah, Donald Trump. Except for except for losing the election. Well, but, I, mean, I would the, say, or I should say, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Wait a minute, losing the election is the single biggest moment of his, the second biggest moment of his life behind winning the first election. But losing the second election is, uh, you know, I've I've done an, I've spent enough time with politicians over the course of this last year and dealt with people who've lost elections. It changes you. You 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 become a different person, and you see it in the president. And we're still calling him the president because he is. Well, you see it in the president every time we see him. There's a different look in his eye every day that he wakes up. Just like John McCain said, but it's even worse for President Trump because he's only the third president in the last what sixty years or so, even longer maybe, who did not get reelected for a second term. That is for a man like him who lives by ego. Yep. It is a destruction. I should I should point. Out, I mean, that was a stupid thing for me to say, and that's 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 not what I meant. Um, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, but I I did say it, and I, I I spoke incorrectly. I think what I'm what I I think is we don't have the, these numbers, but um, I don't think the number went down in terms of whether he appoints the best people. Uh, went down oh, a, okay. a lot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry lot. about that. That's that, no, that was me. I I misspoke, and I realized. Okay, but that, but no, but, I mean, come on, man. He did. So, he's done such a terrible job. Oh, I agree with you. Uh, what I'm saying is that he was able to hold on to that. This is where he didn't pay the price. Is what I, I think. What I was saying is that he didn't lose support because he didn't appoint the no. best people. Okay. Well, That's, he still has his 43 percent because his numbers right. are 43 52 pretty yeah. much. 43 yep. percent approval, 52 percent disapproval, and I think. That's what shocked people is he ran the most objectively uh, dysfunctional, crony uh, administration that that we've had in our lifetimes at at the very least. I know I can't go back to it's Andrew actually Jackson. heartbreaking. It's and, both- and he hasn't lost support his support because of it. And I think that's what I was saying. I mean, he lost the election, but he hasn't lost his core support. It didn't, no, it didn't go down. Like he didn't lose this election by fifteen points. As you know, he should have, according to these to these metrics. But there is one thing that I, one more polling number that I, I want to mention, um, and it goes to what your belief is about what could possibly happen in the midterm, which is, do you have confidence in Biden to grow the economy? And it's fifty percent right now. It was actually higher for Donald Trump. It was fifty eight percent. Now, obviously, the economy is in a different position uh, because of COVID back then, but. This is an this is an area where Biden could potentially overperform expectations. And not only in that area, but just the fact that he's going to come in. The timing is good in a way. I mean, we're about to go through the worst three months of our country, maybe since the Civil War in terms of death and destruction of our people, um, which is heartbreaking. And and just Trump's in in aptitude led us to this position, I, I do believe. But when Biden comes in, once those vaccines are delivered to people and people go back to regular life, they're going to go back to a life that's better and it's going to be under Biden. And I don't know, I, I th- I'm sure for many people who are listening right now, that these last three weeks with an impotent president who does not have power anymore, really, he has power because he is still the president without question. He is the president of the United States, but he doesn't have 
like he he's been shown to be the paper tiger that he is or the emperor who has no clothes these last three weeks there's not the same fear and and just abject terror that i know i've been dealing with over the course of these last four years and i think that over time with biden in the office i think msnbc cnn and fox are going to struggle because those ratings are going to go down people are going to start watching movies again rachel maddow's numbers are going to drop brian williams is going to drop because people don't have to be as scared i think that's what i find myself doing it's like well i don't it's not as urgent Things don't feel like they're going to be as urgent. They're still urgent now, no question. Things are going on right now that that put the republic in danger. But with Biden at the helm, I think he's going to be able to do it. I I pray that he will. And and look, you know, my mom is a wise woman. She's got a lot of wisdom to her. And she this she she rebrought this up with me yesterday. This idea that you know if we believe things happen for a reason, the dysfunction in Washington and across the country was such that even if we never had a Donald Trump, our republic was in peril. This is putting our republic in such peril that we might be able to find a way to rebuild it. That maybe we'll look back in 10 years or in six years when I, the 2026, which I am targeting, both of us are targeting, as a, as a key point in our country's history, that we'll look back and say, look at all the good that came out of that. Look at the way the country is working together now in a way that we never had before, being able to handle situations that we could never have handled if we didn't have this real breakdown so we can rebuild it up and build back better. Look what I did. See what I did? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, and, and I just, uh, uh, my concern has always been just if, if Joe Biden recognizes where he runs into roadblocks and and understands that there are going to be certain points where his old fashioned approach to compromise and expectations about what the other side will do. Um, if he can get around those and, uh, and, and figure Patrick, out another way to get he through those. I mean, he was in, I think he, I think he intellectually understands it. The but question is that it's not in his, I get it, but eight years of running into a brick wall, wearing a helmet, thank God, but running into the brick wall of Mitch McConnell and, and the Senate he dealt with that for so long. He knows. I, I believe he knows what he's up against. I, I, I find it surprising that you keep coming back to that. And I, I think I, he knows. I think I think they're more emboldened than they were when he was vice president. And yeah, why but, are they more emboldened? Because the Democrats in Congress found out that they can be seditious and still hold on to the, the Republicans. You mean. Republican. Yeah, I'm talking about the Republicans. I'm not talking right, about Donald Trump. They basically they found out they didn't get handed to them kind of this this, this retribution. They didn't get wiped out. In fact, Again, they, they did better. They picked up seats in Congress. Uh, they picked up seats in the House. They held on to their majorities no, in state but, legislatures. But don't you think that Biden understands that? That Biden does have an understanding of that? Think about this, man. I mean, he went on this campaign. This he won he won the Democratic nomination that was not expected. I mean, it was expected when he first came in, but his early like he had to part of part of what politicians have to do over the course of a campaign is to grow and to learn and to understand. And I, I you know, I, I guess I'm 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 turning him into the Superman, Joe Biden. Um, and we'll you and I, I have a feeling that once inauguration happens, you and I are going to pop in and out with this show and we'll have a podcast just checking in on a pretty regular basis, like sort of like, Hey, what do you think? You know, it won't be weekly, but we'll, 
we'll find our way together and be like, all right, how's it going now? Where's the Republic this week? Where's the Republic this month or something like that? And I, I, I just think that I think he's smart. I do. I think he has wisdom to him. I think his lack of ego when you lose children, I mean, I can't imagine you can't, you can't imagine. We can't imagine the pain that this man has seen in his heart, in his eyes. I think that that breeds wisdom for him. Breeded wisdom for him. I so, sincerely hope you're right about that. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our hot take segment. We're going to take 90 seconds to discuss some other topics in the news. And when you hear this sound, it's time to move on to the next topic. Patrick, William Shakespeare got the COVID vaccine. Will you take the COVID vaccine? <laughs> and what are the numbers on the COVID vaccine? Well, which it, just uh, got approved yesterday, which is exciting as hell. Yeah. My God, what we might get back. Go. So, so William Shakespeare was uh, the second person in Britain who who took the vaccine. A guy named William Shakespeare. That's why uh, we mentioned it because I, I think that was funny. Kind of looks like, believe it or not, a painting of William Shakespeare. So he could. Yeah. I'm curious if he's a relative or if that's just funny. Go ahead. Yeah. But anyway, um, yeah. So will I take the COVID vaccine? Will we take the COVID vaccine? Uh, 75% of Democrats say they will, but only 48% of Republicans. So right now there's that that still that split in distrust. And we know that it's ravaging Republican areas right now. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting because the, the, the three ex-presidents said that they're going to take the, the vaccine publicly. So, you know, kind of, uh, you know, set an example uh, for folks um, to do this. So what, what's your take on how, how this is going to go down? I mean, I think that I think <laughs> the majority of Americans are going to take that vaccine and be freaking thrilled about it. And I think that the we, we, we will not see we will see people who will not refuse to take the vaccine. We will see people continue to get sick. We will see people who will die, but they will not be near the same numbers and the herd, the herd immunity will come to pass. So, you know, if you're not willing to take the vaccine because you think that Bill Gates is trying to implant you with a chip, you get the consequences of it. I mean, that's kind of how I see it. And I, I yeah, I'm, I think, I think what, I think once, once this rolls out to the general public that, uh, yeah, I think we're going to see just people lining up for it. Yeah. All okay. right. Then the next one is, um, you know, uh, Pete Buttigieg has been mentioned as a possible ambassador to China. Uh, what do you think about that as a possible appointment or is there any other appointments that you'd like to see? Look, I mean, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, I would, there's, there's a, there was a job that I wanted him to do because he came from state and local, he was a state and local official in the organization I work with. I'm going to say it again, the new deal, uh, democratic, uh, center left progressive pro growth group. Uh, Mayor Pete was a centerpiece of this group. There's a piece of me that would have loved to see him sort of as a liaison between state and local officials and and the federal government i think long term putting Buttigieg with china is really pretty smart actually i mean i don't know if he wants to move to china but um it would put him in position i think he's got to be thinking long term about being uh either vice president uh the nominee in 2024 with kamala harris at the top of the ticket if biden does not run again or fighting for with Stacey abrams another new deal leader for the nomination along with kamala harris in 2028 i think i would have preferred as a mayor pete fan to see him at the un but um what do you think yeah i think uh Buttigieg should do something more domestic uh you know domestic policy i think i'm, I'm with you on that um just for his own sake um you know, he's a young guy, so going out to China and coming back, he still has plenty of time. 
to, to forge those relationships and 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 to, to forge a an identity. But I I think um, uh, that he he should serve in some domestic capacity. I'm no, not one, sure exactly what it is. Is there an appointment that you'd still like to see come through? And I think the drum is coming any second. Go. Yeah. No, I don't. I, I don't. I don't have a good one. I, I think that uh, that Biden should stay away from the House of Representatives, though, as much as possible. Sounds smart. All right. Uh, next up, uh, you, you know, so we're talking about all these Republicans um, who signed on to uh, the Supreme Court cases and amicus on the Texas side, the seditious ones. But there are also folks on the other side um, who have come out and said, no, 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 this is wrong. So Republicans, Pat Toomey, uh, senator from Pennsylvania, being one of the leaders. So what do you think, of, uh, you know, these folks and what he's well, up I to? I kind of talked about Pat Toomey, I think, about six weeks ago, remember? And yep. I said – he is retiring and, and deciding, made it clear that he's not going to run for office again. Once you do that and you say, nope, not going to do it, he is free to speak his mind as a patriot. That's why there is a small piece of me that thinks that even if I, – I think if it's 52-48 in the Senate, it's going to stick 52-48. If it is 51-49, I'm not saying Toomey's going to do it, but I think – and I, I don't think that Cornyn would do it. I don't think that Thune would do it. I don't think that Ben Sass would do it, but I do think Lisa Murkowski – could kick over to the other side. Um, and because I think that there, someone has to stand up and say the Republican Party has gone too far. And Toomey coming out and saying that, Cornyn and Thune, it gives me hope. And these are the people who I've been sort of talking about for a while, that the, uh, just reading their body language, they were not comfortable with Trump or his ways. What do you think? Yeah, I just, I, I think that that part, the pull of the party identity and the fact that, you know, these, these Trumpist Republicans still won. Uh, re-election makes it very, very difficult for folks to really step out and say, okay, this is enough. I'm abandoning my party, particularly if you're from a place uh, like Cornyn or Thune where you can't win as a Democrat. That's true. And that's why I don't think that they would move. I don't think Sass would move. I'm going to say Susan Collins, and I know that that sounds insane, but she's part of No Labels, which is a bipartisan group um, that it also has Joe uh, Murkowski in it. And it, it was one of those things that where I could see Murkowski and Collins sort of, it, I could have seen Murkowski going, not Murkowski, I'm sorry, I'm the Manchin, I was thinking Manchin, Manchin going to the Republican Party. I could see Collins, I could see someone flipping to the other side, 25% chance. Let's talk about uh, Rush Limbaugh just for 90 seconds because that's all he deserves. Let's talk about what he came up with this week where he said that he believes that secession is the next step for our country. My God. Yes. And I mean, he got the I mean, Presidential Medal of Freedom. Is that what he got? Was that what it yes. was? My yeah, God. I mean, but yeah, I mean, but we always knew this about Rush Limbaugh, yes. Limbaugh, right? But the fact that these folks are talking about secession, and, and again, who's seceding? Um, you know, the states... The, the red these, states. These, the, the red states, but the, you know, Missouri. the red states have, you know, 40% of the red states are, are Democrats. And... The majority of them would not want to secede. And in fact, the ones that would secede would be one of the poorest countries in yes. one of the poorest that's developed where, countries in the world. That's where I was going. Like, you sure you all want to do that? Because there's, sure, there's a lot of money in New York and California. There's a lot of money that goes into the federal coffers. And, you know, one of the fascinating things to watch is Mitch McConnell sort of realizing that no longer is it just the blue states where state and local officials and state and counties need help. 
It's in the red states. It's we're in the places where Donald Trump is going to have a Hanukkah party with no social distancing and no masks. If that's what's happening in red states, what are you going to have? More people dying. Your healthcare system well, this is being being put under. This is what I love about people who say don't uh, if Donald Trump would have won if you don't count California. Well, if you don't count California in our GDP, California would be the eighth richest country in the world all by itself. Yeah. So I think I want to count California as part of the United States. Thank you very much. Yeah, California is um, incredible. It is. And, and the fact that Donald Trump gave Rush Limp, that's all you need to know, that the man he gave the Presidential Medal of Freedom to is the one calling for secession and civil war. I'm not going to say the word, but that's what I'm thinking. Let's talk about okay. Andrew Yang. Yes, Andrew Yang. I'm leave this this, to is, this you. is yours. This is mine. You're the one who sent me the article. Well, okay. So but it's your town. It's, it's you know, it's, it, it's it your backyard. It, You're going to have a, an election in New York City, right? I, we are. And I, I, this is so tacky, but I'm going to say it. I think I said it on the show. I don't know if I did. But one of my, uh, you know, I follow people on Twitter. Everyone follows people on Twitter. So I followed Andrew Yang on Twitter. And I had unfollowed him after he dropped out of the race, and then I refollowed him, and then he followed me back. So I was like, I was pretty excited. I was like, look at that! I got followed by Andrew Yang. That's kind of fun. You I know, think he I knows so. your opinion leader. He's you're an opinion leader in New York City, <laughs> and now now that looks like he's going to run for mayor of New York. Right. So he's only got That's about good. five thousand followers. So I could. I was thinking of messaging him and saying, hey, you need a little help to win New York. If there's a way that I could be of service. But I got to make sure that he's the right guy for the job, which I'm yeah, not sure whether or not he is. I do think it gives him a huge leg up. I think he has a great opportunity to run. I mean, he's never run in New York politics, and there's all sorts of you know, inside stuff that happens in New York, same way as in New Jersey, probably not as bad as New Jersey, but you know, that he's going to have to deal with. But I, I think he's going to be able to raise money. I think he's a celebrity. What do you think? You think he's got a shot? Yeah, well, you know, you talked about you mentioning Pat Toomey a few weeks ago, uh, a few months ago when Andrew Yang dropped out on this show. I mentioned Andrew Yang as a potential mayoral candidate for New York City. That is right. You did. <laughs> I did. Uh, so um, I, I think it would be fascinating. I mean, it's yeah, New York is, is you know, he wanted to be president. Um, New York is probably mayor is probably the second toughest job. So I think uh, it'll, it's going to make for an interesting race if he gets in. Yeah, it will be fun. Um, again, I apologize. I think I did mention Andrew Yang that he followed me. I was pretty, well, still pretty excited about it. Okay, so this is uh, one of the most fun parts of the show for all of us. We're going to bring our producer, Justin Mason, on to tell us some of his thoughts about what we've already talked about today or anything else that's on his mind. Justin, welcome. Oh, it's, it's always a pleasure to be here and pleasure to be behind the glass listening to you guys. Uh, just another fantastic show. I don't have a ton to add other than... Uh, there was, uh, I believe the CDC director mentioned or, or said that they're expecting that every day for the next two weeks, 3,000 plus people will die of COVID. Um, and that is just sad that we've gotten to this point. Um, I hope everybody stays safe through the holidays. I don't know if we're going to record another episode before Christmas, but happy Hanukkah to all our Jewish friends. Merry Christmas. Uh, to everyone, uh, and I hope everyone stays safe through these holidays. Thank you, Justin. That's very sweet. And yeah, I, it goes back to speaking of Hanukkah, as I mentioned, the Hanukkah party at the White House. And, you know, we're going to look back on this time with this president, and we're just going to pull our hair out that we had to go through this period. I mean, I that's the only thing I can think, because he has been so inept and awful, awful and inept. 
And what I'm finding, I remember the night where it came clear that Biden was going to win. I think it was the Saturday, right? Right. And I realized there's a certain amount of respect that you give to the president because he's the president. That's almost over. And when that time comes, I'll really say what I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to move on now to our guardians of the week. This is where someone, and we have a good, we have good ones this week. It actually happened two weeks ago, but because we didn't do the, or last week, and because we didn't do the show, it held over because they certainly have earned it. They have put their political future at in jeopardy. They have put their lives in jeopardy. I was kind of glad. I think this was my nomination, and Patrick backed it very fast. Um, so those are, here they are, in order. I'm going to give the governor, Brian Kemp of Georgia, gets a tip of the hat. Jeff Duncan, the lieutenant governor of Georgia, gets a bow of the head, sir. The secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, gets also a fine tip of the hat. And Gabriel Sterling, the aide to Raffensperger, who came out and yelled at the president, saying, I voted for you, sir. Stop. You're going to get someone shot. You're going to get someone killed. They are our guardians of the week. Do you have any big thoughts on this, Patrick? Yes. I mean, all along, um, particularly Gabriel Sterling, um, if you've been, if you watched all that vote count uh, and recount in Georgia, he's the director of elections. I think, I think that's his, his uh, title, something like that. He was the one who always gave you the details came out and it was just Mm -hmm. the numbers. And this is the real fascinating thing. Cause at the end of the day, what, held our republic together mm-hmm. were these local officials mm-hmm. who said it said you know my oath of office is much more important than my partisanship it wasn't our members of congress it wasn't you know these other other political leaders it was the local officials the people who were closest to their constituents who were the ones who really got what their responsibility and their duty is and these um four officials in Georgia in particular, because they were so under fire by their own party, continue to be under fire by their own party, calls for resignations as uh, from their fellow Georgia Republicans, as well as the death threats, as you mentioned. Um, and they just stood up to it and said, the Republic is much more important than my party. And Doug Ducey in, in Arizona uh, gets a tip of the cap too. Uh, most especially because he got a phone call from Donald Trump as he was ratifying the election and shut the shut it off. It was hailed to the chief, started to play. He looks at the phone, puts it down, and signs his name. Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State of the State of Michigan, another New Deal leader, the organization that I work with, um, she has been dealing with mobs outside of her house. Armed this mobs. Is, this is what's going yeah. on in our country, and these... Election leaders, our state and local leaders around the country are uh, are are the bulwark for our nation. And yep. for that, we have so much to be grateful for. Yes. All right. So that wraps it up for this week's edition of Guardians of the Republic. If you have any comments or thoughts for the show, please reach out to us on Twitter at Guardians OTR. And please remember to subscribe so that when the episodes show up, they'll just pop right into your phone to get the latest episodes on your favorite podcast app. Please do give us a rating. Tell your friends and family so others can find us. Also, if you want to catch up on some of our past episodes, check out our website at guardians-republic.com. Thanks for joining us. Have a great holiday, and we'll be back with a new episode soon. See ya. Thank you, Justin. 